Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10th installment of uh, By the Numbers. I'm back, James Carlson. I've been gone for three weeks. Uh, Borzoi filled in for two, and then we had to skip last weekend due to incredibly difficult scheduling. But it's great to be here. How are you doing, Alex? I'm happy to be back. <sighs> I'm here. No, <laughs> we uh, we really had to squeeze this one in, but uh, I could feel the I could feel the TRS uh, managerial class breathing down my neck, like do a show. You mean um, he has a name? He has a name. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> oh, you gotta love him. He's great. He's great. Anyway, we're back. We're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Oliver Anthony the whole show. He's we're gonna riff off of him the whole show. That's the plan. It's the subject. It's the it's sort of the subject of like the last week. Even, <laughs> even right now as we speak, they're uh, in one of the chats. Uh, Mike and Borzoi are writing <laughs> short, short poems. I'll read one for you. I was raised in a ditch, dirt as far as I could see. We just have to end Medicare Part B. <laughs> 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 Oh, one, one more from Mike. One more from Mike. I was born in a shack surrounded by shit. Lord, please, won't you end the child tax credit? <laughs> <laughs> so we're all we're also getting a lot of enjoyment from this. Oh, God, it's 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 too good. Anyway, the premise of the show, and it was actually Alex who kind of came up with the idea, is that the sort of the Jason L. Dean song and this this Oliver Anthony song, they're not really appealing to a genuine demographic of people, right? The whole sort of thing is this astroturfed uh, sort of mass appeal hoping to it'll stick to the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, okay. it's, it's just like another flare up of these kinds of, of things. Cause that's, that's what we were talking about prior to the show. And I know we discussed this on tedious as well, but the, this particular country song template goes back a really long time. Oh yeah. It goes really far back. Like the, the first example of that, that I, I could think of, even though there are some others is country boy can survive from Hank Williams jr. And what I think is really interesting is this song is much more explicit than what came later. Like he's got lines about, uh, the interest is up the stock market's down. You only get mugged if you go downtown. Um, let's see. I got a shotgun, a rifle and a four wheel drive. And then let's see here because you can't starve us out and you can't make us run because we're them old boys raised on shotguns. <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts talking about his friend, like presumably this is an autobiographical song here. He's talking about, uh, I, I had a good friend in New York city. Never called me by his name. Just till Billy. He used to send me pictures of Broadway nights and I'd send him some homemade wine, but he was killed by a man with a switchblade knife for $43. My friend lost his life. I'd love to spit some beech nut in that dude's eyes and shoot him with my old 45. That, you really can't get much more explicit than that. Right, like right. He, he's literally talking about the caliber of firearm he wants to use to <laughs> execute someone. He wants he to has do... a premeditated plan. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is like the equivalent of the of the black rappers who name the guy they're going to kill in their song. <laughs> it is literally the same thing. It's like, wait, did he actually have a friend in New York City that got stabbed to death, and he's like trying to find the guy who did it, kill him, it's like calling him out in the song? Like yeah, yeah. It's like, damn, with my forty-five, like, holy shit. 
But yeah, so then, then you go to turn that in a small town by Jason Aldean, and some of the stuff is very similar. Like it starts out about sucker punch somebody on a sidewall, carjack an old lady to red light, pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You you think it's cool? We'll act like a fool if you like. But rather than explicitly talk about spitting tobacco juice in someone's face and then shooting them between the eyes with your forty-five, he says. <laughs> he says, "Well, try that in a small town. It's like fuck around and find out." He doesn't say what he's going to do. Just says right, you so try it. That was my first thought when you were sort of we were comparing the lyrics before we actually started recording the show, and I said, "You know, it's weird that it's so abstract now." Yeah, he's singing in abstractions, and you you get it. I'm not saying that you don't understand it. Obviously, you get he's saying, you know, if the the city boys, quote unquote, come to the small town, they're going to get blown away. But it's still like this weird sort of dancing around the bush country abstract postmodern country and, music i don't know then, then you get to richmond of richmond and there's not e- any implicit threat of violence at all actually this is talking well, no, about it's, it's a song just he's just bitching in the whole song. yeah he's just complaining i mean about as close as we get to like an, an implicit or explicit threat of anything has to do with fudge rounds like, taxes alt not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Like he's singing about how he, he would rather you not eat trash from Walmart and he thinks taxes shouldn't pay for it. And meanwhile, Hank Williams Jr. is singing about shooting somebody in a swamp somewhere. Right. He's going to hunt down the guy who killed his friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a world of difference here. There is. And you there can, is in it. It's like you could trace like the, the evolution here of it just getting milder and milder and milder. And then the reaction to it, of course, has disproportionately gotten stronger from like libtards. Like they, they think the Jason Aldean song is, is a, a clan anthem about lynching black people. Right. So that surprised me. And we were talking about this before the show as well, because my impression when both of them happened was that the, so Fox news in particular is who I see like reflexively defending them. And mm-hmm. my impression was, okay, this is just Fox news creating a nothing burger like they usually do, but you and Mike were telling me that apparently the left genuinely got mad about the Jason L. Dean song. And then I went and I listened to the full song and I was like, yeah, okay, this is a bit more, <laughs> this is a bit more, uh, I can see there, uh, where they were talking about, uh, it being anti-black, not, not that I think it really is, but I can see where the left could, uh, I can see where they, they could get that from. And it sort of explained why there would be a genuine anger well, from their side. I feel like that maybe that dynamic is a lot of that is kayfabe. Like a lot of this is just them picking something real stupid to get in a fight about. I mean, I'm sure that the libtards themselves are amped up about it, but maybe the, the chain of events that led to this was sort of, sort of a kayfabe situation of like, okay, we're going to have a fight over this nothing burger that doesn't matter. We're going to well, argue so about some uh, Jason Aldean song. That'll be fun. That's, that's what led to our original text conversation sort of about, you know, there, I can't imagine there are people actually invested in either of these songs. You know, I pulled up some data about bars in America because, you know, the sort of the quintessential thing. And I don't remember who made the claim, but it was that the the, the middle Americans who go to the bar during the week or the weekend, or these are the people who re- identify with this music. So we looked up some data on on bars in America. Well, like every other public space in America, bars are dying. There are mm-hmm. 12,500, this is from the Washington Post, 
12,500 fewer bars in America in 2016 than there were in 1998. Most of them have closed in rural areas. And the ones that, and this was a statistic you liked, <laughs> the ones that close in the urban areas are the dive bars, which have virtually right. gone extinct because those working class men are, they're gone because the working class is essentially gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was talking, like, whenever I, I saw Matt Walsh talking about, like, the blue collar bar, like, I know what these places actually would look like. He doesn't. Yeah, so yeah, been right. in one. Yeah, because whenever we were doing motorsports events, me and my wife, we went down to Carolina Motorsports Park. Uh, we were there doing a Porsche track day weekend. Anyway, we started looking around for a restaurant or bar to go to. And we found this place, and I'm pretty sure I've looked up the right one, the 341 Bar and Grill, Kershaw, South Carolina. So we walked through the door. There's karaoke. There is a toothless redneck singing the karaoke. There's a fat blonde bartender, and she's doing jello shots with the clientele. And I looked over at Mara, and I was like, we found it. This is the place. We're going to go here tonight. I'm going to park my ass over there on that bar stool, and I ain't leaving. <laughs> and it. it was a great I time. I loved it. I had a, a fantastic time. That was a dive bar. It was a proper dive bar. It was perfect. It was authentic. Great time. Yeah, there were two in the, obviously, you and I, similar backgrounds. There were two in the little town I grew up in. Both are gone now. Totally gone. Um, the one closed like six years ago. And then the last one that was just hanging on, um, the last sort of hangout of the working men in the town that closed during COVID. And now I don't think there's anyone even young enough to to want to go to a bar because it's rural America and everyone's fucking 65 years old. Well, where I live now, for example, they used to have, I believe, three bars. And these old-timers called them beer halls, right? Uh, those are all gone. If I wanted to go to a bar right now, the closest thing I could go to would be a Mexican restaurant, which does have right. like full table and some bar stuff. You know, it does have an actual bar. But <clears throat> to go to a proper bar or pub, I would have to go into Blacksburg to Virginia Tech, which, is, of course, it's like every other college town. It's libtarded. It's very bougie. And then I could find a bar. Like there's a towny bar that still exists there. Because that's basically what you what we're talking about here is towny bars. Correct. Um, you can still find them every once in a while, but they're not particularly common. And like I said, they're going to be located inside of a college town. That's really the only ecosystem where they can continue to thrive is in a college town. Finding them like by themselves out in the wild is kind of unusual. Right. You know, in the... In the Midwest, I don't know about the South because I've not ex traveled extensively through the South. In the Midwest, it used to be pretty common that you could drive down rural roads. And even if you were kind of in the middle of nowhere, you would come across a corner bar. It was that, not unusual. That is yeah. not a, it's not a thing anymore. There are very few left. It's hard from to the find. Data, from the data I was looking at, they're essentially gone. But they used to be very common. And I guarantee you, if I took a... 45 minute drive around uh, part of Michigan. I grew up and I could probably, I could probably document a dozen closed ones. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there, there was one in Floyd County. Actually, now I think about it. There's one that's probably still going Ray's place called Ray's off of a uh, two twenty one. And I, I had stopped there after working on the ambulance, which I don't think that's blue collar though. I think that counts as a blue collar job. I guess I was an infiltrator, but I would take off my work shirt, go in there and maybe have a couple whiskeys or something and then drive home. 
but yet again, that thing was kind of being sustained by the restaurant portion. It wasn't like it was just a, right. a bar standing there by itself. It was part of something much larger. Right. And the, in the blue collar is a perfect segue because I, we gathered sort of a bunch of data on this. One of the premises of these songs and sort of the faux cultural outrage around them is that it's a battle between the blue collar working class and the, the bougie libtards, but it, it really isn't the, the blue collar working class. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of Americans are very poor because they work in retail jobs or social assistant, like these really kind of shitty service economy jobs. But the idea of the blue collar manufacturing worker is nearly a thing of the past. Well, I've talked about this before. And people, have, of course, gotten mad about it, but it seems to be the same sort of trajectory that you saw with farming, where farming was sort of what the majority of the population was doing. And then over time, it declined, and for a while, it leveled off, and then it just plummeted. And it looks like the same exact pattern, because if you look at, like, 1975, I believe about 70% of, of the uh, adult population was employed in so-called working-class yep. jobs, at least for whites. And then it declined to 40% in 2019. So it almost got cut in half, and now it's literally the minority occupation. So it's more like it's it's more like twenty one percent from the from the uh, CBP survey that I have in front of me. That's see, but, that's what I wanted to do is dig into like what exactly we're talking about because when you say like blue collar working class, I think people. Well, I'm talking just manufacturing. In yeah. That statistic. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, wow, yeah, down to 20% for manufacturing, 21%. That's, that's pretty wild. Uh, but I think people would tend to also tend want to lump in like construction, welding. But right. Those are, as far as I know, very small portions of the workforce at this point, like only a few percentage points. The Well, I know the trades, trades as a whole, uh, they're only somewhere around, now this is like qualified tradesmen. You mentioned welders, people like this. I only yeah. think there's about, two or three million. It's not a high yeah. number of, of, of the total workforce. I mean, I just looked up, I have a, I have a, uh, Bureau of labor statistics, uh, whatever it's called open, open in front of me. There are only about 400,000 welders, cutters, solders, and brazers in a country of 335 million people. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about like, like sheet metal, uh, right. Uh, contractors and things like that, uh, HVACs, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, journeyman electricians, that kind of thing. Like, you can only really have so many of those, right? And we don't but, even have enough because no one, no, they want, <laughs> no one wants number, no one will. Uh, there's no, there's not a coherent mechanism to train these, train people to do the work, right? <laughs> Which you and you and Borzoi sort of covered on the other show about collapse. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that was something I experienced firsthand like 20-some years ago because they were running some kind of program to try to get people retrained. I think this was happening whenever there was a, a, a local layoff, and this is part of this, the backdrop, the whole manufacturing being outsourced. But they were offering financial packages to help people get retrained in HVAC, so it was pretty easy to go get an HVAC license. But then the problem you would run into is there was kind of a glut of people with those licenses, and your employer is like, would well, you have 20 years of experience? So right. Like, well, no, I don't. <laughs> right. And I, 
I found that you couldn't even get people to like give you so much as like a unpaid internship or something. It was like they would just kind of laugh at you. Right. And uh, credentialism is one thing we plan to do a whole show on as well, just because it's so detrimental to a society, especially yeah. a modern, a modern, uh, especially a modern advanced society. But, you know, sort of the overall point is, and I, I want to clarify that, you know, when I'm talking about this, at least I'm not trying to pose the idea that there aren't like hard working back breaking men who go out there every day to do work no that there absolutely are and there's there's quite a few of them but we are subsisting on this weird idea that there's an industrial a massive industrial class of people in the united states and you you see this in political rhetoric whether it's our political rhetoric or it's progressives or it's sort of the weird pro worker thing that the GOP has been trying to do lately. There's this weird myth, frankly, persisting that there's this massive industrial class of people who just have to be mobilized in their political interest. But the, the industrial class effectively doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Cause this is a service economy. Right. That's I made the same kind of point is like people are sort of doing a, a historical anachronism here by trying to appeal to a class of people that has largely been destroyed or, had their jobs sent overseas. It, it yeah, reminds exactly. me of, of the thing with the farmers, like constantly talking about the small farmers that is and Republicans don't even bother to do that anymore, but they used to, they used to talk about small farmers, farmers being like the backbone of the country. And then they pretty much just destroyed all of them. And I feel like the same exact things happening with the, the working class. They still do this in Iowa. Um, a couple of these plain States, they still talk quite a bit about the small family farm. But when you look at the average size of the farm in Iowa, it's like, That's, it's like tri tripled and quadrupled in the past two decades. Like these, these are massive swatches of land that, you know, that, and, and it might be one guy who owns three farms. Like there isn't, there isn't a mass constituency of small family farmers. Yeah. 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 Like, like fucking farmer John is, his uh, right, single exactly. cap, eight foot bed, Ford pickup truck, his Maggie Ferguson tractor. Like, no, he doesn't exist anymore because you people. Right. You killed destroy... him. Yeah, you killed him. <laughs> <laughs> you killed him. And you know, we, we did we did a whole episode and we talked about sort of how both of us believe it's desirable to have that class of man and how he's sort of an underpinning uh, aspect of civilization. But in, we brought it home in that episode. And I think it's something we have to bring home in this episode. When we talk about that, we're talking about something that would have to be, if it's even possible, would have to be rebuilt, not mm -hmm. something that we can actually pick up and use now because it's effectively gone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have, uh, I have another statistic in front of me. It's where I got the manufacturing one. In 1998, 53% of all counties in America, and there are like 5,200-something counties in America, uh, 53% of them, the largest, the most common job was in manufacturing. Now, in 2017, it inverted the most common job, which is now just at 50%, is healthcare and social care. So this is a point, I know me and Borzoi have talked about this. When people are talking about the working class, what's really funny is the really big chunk of employment is healthcare. And no right. one really talks about appealing to the healthcare workers. You don't see this in political rhetoric very much. No, They're you don't, like, not. It's like they don't conceptualize them as a class, but they certainly are. 
And in terms of the type of job that a lot of people are going to seek out, it is healthcare related because there's the perception, just become a nurse and, you know, you make decent money. Like that's sort of like the, right. The modern alternative to, I guess, becoming a, a blue collar tradesman is like, oh, just become right. a nurse, you know, and then you can do, uh, you can do some contract work and you can make a fair bit of money and squirrel away some, uh, some retirement. I wonder if it's because most healthcare workers are women. And, and l- let me expound on that. I don't mean, I don't mean that it's anything inherent to do with them being women, but I think most of your traditional sort of societal job sectors, farming, manufacturing, the trades, the sciences, those are very male professions. And when you appeal to men, their sort of their working identity tends to be very important. And you organize yeah. them around those identities. Well, they sort of valorized those types right. of blue collar identities. So they don't really valorize the healthcare industry other than the, you know, the yeah, you, you nurses are the real superheroes, like that kind of Stuff right, but it's I, more associated with libtards anyway. I don't think women, and maybe there's a, a wonderful woman in our movement who would prove me wrong, but I don't think, number one, the system doesn't valorize it, but I also don't think women sort of valorize their work. And I, so if they're not, if the healthcare workers as a class aren't sort of uplifting themselves as an organized group, then I don't think the political system is motivated to do it either. Yeah. So the political system just ignores almost 50% of the, 50% of the yeah, workforce. They're, they're, let's be real. Like they're pretty much just a type of gig worker anyway. Like you're going to work for God only knows how many different hospital systems over the course of your career or however many different EMS systems. It doesn't matter what part of healthcare you're in. You're not going to just go in and like work for one system and be part of a union and all of that. It's very unlikely. I mean, I'm, I know that there's healthcare unions out there, but so much of this country, you are just a gig worker. You're a mercenary. You are a fucking mercenary. So I think maybe <laughs> pol- politically mobilizing that kind of group would have some inherent difficulties due to the way it's constructed. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that, I don't think you have a healthcare worker who went to school in Tennessee and then worked in Michigan, then worked in Louisiana, then worked in Florida, then worked in California, then moved back to Florida. Like I, you can't organize that person. No. And I actually know someone like that from my own life. That's what got these. You can't, or you can't unionize her. Uh, just like, I, you know, one person, like it's pretty much every person. in healthcare. <laughs> No, but from my own personal life, like, right? Like th- even thinking back on my own career, I mean, I worked for a, I worked and volunteered a number of places. And any anytime you you talk to somebody from healthcare from that field, they're always like, "The grass is always greener over here." I'm going to go work over here now. Yeah, I don't know. That's a it, that as that's not quite the same the as the mess of modern medicine. Yeah, it, that that's like a whole other can of worms. But it, they're not. I don't feel like they're unionized the same way the blue collar work was unionized. I don't think it structurally tends to work the same way. No, absolutely not. But they're now just about 50% of the workforce. Then of course you have uh, retailers. They're the biggest form of employment in 540 counties. Now this was interesting on this graph in the year 2000, they were about 30% of all 30% 30% of all counties, the most most of their workers were in the retail trade. This has now shrunk, particularly after the financial crisis in 2008. Now it's about 10%. Interesting. Very interesting. But, but as that uh, demographic has shrunk, 
the demographic of people working in transportation and warehousing. So I'm thinking like Amazon, mm -hmm. UPS, that demographic has exploded. And uh, that, that is technically working class, but it's not conceptualized like that. Like you're not going to get country right. songs about uh, working at the Amazon warehouse. <laughs> right. So, and I think that's sort of the point of that's sort of the underlying, one of the underlying points of the show is we're not contending that there is no working class. There is a working class. There's always been a working class, but we don't have a modern conception, even in our own political rhetoric, about what the working class is. Well, th so that gets into something that Mike talks about. Like, there is a sort of a Marxist definition of what a working class is, and it's, and it's much broader. And it's pretty much like, do you get a paycheck cut to you for doing labor for something? You're sort of default working class. But then you've got the American and the Americanized conception of working class, right. which is like, do you put on a hard hat and steel toe boots? If you don't, then you ain't working class. Right. Yeah. Like the, you, you, the people you grab a pickup truck to be working class. The, the people who listen to Lee Bryce's drinking class song. <laughs> oh God. Oh fuck. Don't get Borzoi sent that to me. I was doing I was doing this research and uh, and uh, Borisway sent that to me. For he motivation. did it to me too, and I think my brain had finally erased all memories of that song. And I was like, wait, wait, I know this damn song. Fuck. I know, I knew it too. It started playing, and it took about ten seconds. I'm like, oh my god! Not only, not only. So this was the thing. Not only did I recognize the song after about ten seconds, I started having. I started having PTSD about my about about where I grew up. <laughs> you did I right? recognize the it. You recognize the images. You're like, oh fuck, oh god, oh here we go. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> yes, flashbacks. Yeah, exactly. I'm having, I'm having uh, flashbacks. <laughs> having flashbacks. I'm like, oh no. Um, because the people. That's the funny thing. The people in that video really do exist as a group of people, but I can't valorizing them as something I've never been. I've never been able to comprehend why people do that. Yeah, well, I mean, and I actually do have a blue collar working class background. I've done those jobs. I was the first job I ever had was a timber cutter, which I think is less than one percent of the working population is involved in timber cutting. It's not much, maybe half percent. It's a it's a it's a it's a job that has only a very small minority working on it, especially because it's gotten increasingly mechanized, which is a whole other thing. There is mechanization has sort of eroded these these traditional blue collar jobs to an extent. Like whenever I was working in the field. You would be cutting down the tree yourself, which was dangerous. Then you would limb the tree, and then we had a cable skid or we had a timber jack, and you would connect your uh, connect up to your logs and haul them out. But nowadays, the shift has been towards using like a feller buncher, where you don't have to get down there and risk your life dropping a tree and potentially getting taken out by a widow maker. You stay inside of an air conditioned piece of equipment all day. And you have a knuckle boom, use that to load up the logs and you've got a buck saw and all that. So in theory, now in timber cutting, you could potentially have a job where you're really just a heavy equipment operator for the most part. You're not out there balancing on a log with like a steel chainsaw in one hand and your tape measure in the other hand, like marking it off. Yeah, I, IBIS, which is an industrial research firm, shows that they're, they're about... 80,000 in the whole United States and that is they're shrinking by about 4% a year. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, think that, that, that's almost certainly cause this happened in Europe. The same thing happened because it was like, well, we don't want people like 
out there around these logs, like trying to like dig under a log to get a choker around it, which is you know a whole fun operation that is. But it in Europe, this is where it really started. It was like it's just safer to mechanize heavily and yeah. have people in a protected cab. And yeah. sort of the existential question though is, okay, well, at what point does the manly logger job become something a woman can do <laughs> very easily? <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm, if I'm in an air conditioned cab and even the hydraulic controls are actually like electronically actuated, like that's doesn't really require me to be physically very capable for the most part until something breaks, of course. Right. But, but then you just call the, the technician and he shows up and fixes it. I've seen the videos of the the damn machines they have to cut down. Not only can they like cut down the tree, but they can cut it down and hold it up and like it's amazing. It's freaking yeah, it's amazing. Bun- it's, it's a feller buncher. It's called a feller buncher. And I in you know I always have the thought in my mind when I see stuff like that. Obviously it's good and it's safe, but there's also a trade-off between you know, productive work for humans to do and technology eliminating that productive work. Well, it's like an existential thing. Yeah. And then, it, it now, like, so you get in your, your pickup truck and you drive over to your logging job site and then you get in your air conditioned feller buncher and you never touch a chainsaw <laughs> all day. Like, all right. <laughs> oh, funny, funny thing too is, uh, at some point my dad discovered it was actually much cheaper to just drive a Subaru to work. <laughs> so, the manly logger is driving the lesbian mobile and he just has the chainsaws in the back in the trunk. <laughs> my dad. Things, yeah. <laughs> my dad hasn't done it yet. Um, he still has a pickup truck, but he always talks about every time I see him, every damn time I see him, he talks about getting like for a while, it was a mini Cooper. Now this is a man who his entire life has worked either outside or in tool shops or, you know, one point eight was manufacturing motorcycles like that. He is a blue collar guy. And he, for years has been talking about getting a mini Cooper to drive to work. <laughs> it makes like the beater. Right, I mentioned yeah. this on today's show, yeah. like having the beater makes sense. And why waste the gas driving a pickup truck? If you're not hauling a skitter tire that day. Well, so this is I, the thing now, last time I talked to him, cause it only, it's only takes about 40, the job he currently has only takes about 40 minutes to get there. Last time I was in the U S and I was talking with him, he was talking about getting an electric car <laughs> <laughs> because great. it can, because it can take it him, is. it can take him to the plant and back and, it won't use that much charge. It's, you know, it's 80 minutes of driving mm-hmm. and he just plugs it in at the house. That's fantastic. Why, why, why the hell, it's kind why of the, the hell thing, they forget it, the real working class people are pragmatic. Yes. And a lot of, a lot of them won't drive the expensive gas guzzling pickup trucks. Cause they're like, well, that's right. stupid. Just drive my beater. My Even entire if they, life. If they, if they need the pickup truck, a lot of times they'll do exactly what my dad did. They'll have a beater and they'll only drive the pickup truck when absolutely necessary. The first 18 years of my life, my dad had the same total. It, it was not a matter of what he could afford. It was practicality. He had the same red f- small cab Ford pickup truck that was beat. Or it was a GMC beat to hell. Oh my God. That thing looked like a, <laughs> looked like a roll, <laughs> looked like a rolling death trap. And he drove it for 18 years and he didn't have a new vehicle until like, uh, five months after I finally moved away and I, c- I come for a visit and he has a new truck. I almost fell over. Couldn't believe it. Like that's the sort of the practicality that I associate with actual 
working class people. Yeah. Now I did factory work too at one point. And honestly, factory work sucks. Like you tell anybody who's done like actual, like assembly line work. It's not fun. I, I did have oh, a factory yeah, no, job. I don't, I've done, I've done it too. I, I not, yeah, uh, not it's mind numbing. It is fucking mind numbing. I did have a job one time where I was building turntables for cranes and that was kind of fun. Cause we got to do a lot of different stuff on one thing. Like you, you had a crew, usually one or two people that would build like the whole turntable. So you, you didn't just <laughs> do one part. Like you got to hook up all the hydraulic lines and stuff like that. And wire stuff in so that was kind of neat but every other manufacturing job it was like this is water torture (laughs) this is like being a human machine it's terrible and i did commercial landscape which i consider that to be the toughest job i ever had like timber cutting is hard but with timber cutting at least you would get kind of a break in the action because usually you drop a bunch of trees limb them throw your uh, chokers around the butt of the log and haul them all out and while you're hauling them out you know you kind of recuperate for a second right they get a little break when you're on the skitter, but with commercial landscaping, it was like, okay, you're going to take this weed eater and you're going to walk 20 miles with it. <laughs> no break. You're just going to be oh, yeah. working for four or five hours straight until break time. Yep. I know the feeling I worked, uh, I worked on a golf course, uh, when I was 17 and 18 or 16 and 17. And I remember walking for miles with it. Now we call them weed whackers. With yeah. The weed whacker walking for miles down it. the sides of the fairways. Shit. Oh my God. I hated <laughs> that part. Oh my <laughs> God. My favorite thing yeah. in timber industry is actually sorting logs. I love doing that. Just cutting them up and sorting them by length. <laughs> it was like a Zen thing. Like, yeah, yeah it's Satis- sort my logs. Satisfies sort the, my logs now. Satisfies the male brain's need. For like That's that and operating a Z turn lawnmower with a good striping kit. I would do both of those oh, man, jobs. I love zero turn lawnmowers. I love zero like, turn. G- getting the stripes absolutely perfect, like looking all the way at the very end of where you're mowing, oh, just yeah. aiming the lawnmower, just getting perfectly like laser aligned stripes. Super being, rewarding. Being super autistic about it, like looking yeah. at how your how your wheel your your. Uh, your wheel lines up with the <laughs> lines up with yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 so driving the same <laughs> track yeah oh my god I, I could be doing that job right now forever yeah so could I so could I that was that was satisfying work oh, yeah, yeah sort of long so oh, remember Z turn like the, the the best thing ever <laughs> and then wow that what, was <laughs> what's interesting though if you kind of contrast that with like the healthcare jobs like actually the healthcare jobs in many ways are much harder. So especially hear, harder on, on your soul. I hear nothing lately uh, except how slammed and intense and difficult it is to be in the healthcare industry at the moment. Yeah. Like, like every day is a absolute gauntlet. Yeah. And I, but I, I think that kind of plays into sort of like the, the cultural biases where you try to try to valorize this idea of being like the blue collar work. Like, I, you know, I work hard. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't know, man, given the choice between cutting timber or being a floor nurse. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, <Yeah>. dude. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that the, that America, and you made a great point about sort of pointing out the, the difference between sort of the Marxist definition, which I've also heard Mike talk about and the American definition of working class, which is really I don't know if that's rooted in in American conservatism or not, but it is definitely an American definition. 
and that it hasn't evolved and people are still imagining these broad sways of men doing very particular work and having a very particular attitude about life mm-hmm. and the way that life is organized when in fact very very few of these men still exist in fact i was surprised when i was looking at this uh, cbp data that the the only state where assemblers and fabricators are in the top five most common jobs was Michigan. That was it. You know, I, I sort of expected Ohio, Illinois, Arizona, you know, some of these states that, that still have industrial capacity, but no, only Michigan. Now, you did have some states, and I, you know, we texted back and forth about this a bit. You know, the only, in the top 10 most common jobs in America... I think the only class of people that most people would recognize as traditionally working class are laborers who do like freight stocking and material moving. Mm-hmm. And that's the only one. Every what? Everyone else in this list are retail salesperson, fast food workers, cashiers, number four nationally is registered nurses, customer service representatives, office clerks. Operations managers, stockers, order fillers. Now, those are sort of your Amazon people. There's more than 2 million of them now. And janitors and cleaners. But none of those groups of people, and again, to reiterate to the audience, I'm not saying that these aren't work actually in reality working class people. I, I'm, I'm not no, saying that. Yeah, those are absolutely working class, but they're but not, they're not, you're not going to get country. Traditional. Yeah, exactly. The only people you traditionally recognize in that list are the laborer, freight stocker, material mover people, the freight like, guys. No one's going to write a song about busting your ass at the dollar general. Correct. And I, it's, it's funny because there's almost like kind of an elitism here. Like, Oh, that sort of job is, is beneath me. Oh my God! You're oh man, Alex, you've touched a you've touched a pet peeve of mine. When I worked at McDonald's, now now keep in mind, I was a teenager, right? I this was like from fifteen to seventeen years old. I I did this job. The boomers who would come in, who had blue collar job. We had one guy in particular. I remember he worked at the junkyard. <laughs> he worked at the junkyard and he was the most condescending motherfucker you would ever meet. And a lot of the, especially the older ones, a lot of these older guys were incredibly condescending. This is, this is a, this is a, a the, like the a, guy working at the pull and pay junkyard where he doesn't really even have to do much of anything is, has got it is like hopping an attitude. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a lot yes. of these junkyards, the way they work, it's like, well, you can go hunt around out there and you find a part made up here to the counter and pay for it. It's like, I'm not going to pull it for you. No, he, the, the motherfucker like sat in a building and occasionally yeah. drove a drove a backhoe to push it onto like a yeah exactly occasionally you hop on a backhoe or something and shove some old car out of the way or you you drag something in there like jack yeah but anyway yeah that's a pet peeve of mine is like the especially the boomers they were so condescending yeah yeah there's 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 definitely like a classism where if you have like the the blue collar job is like desirable for virtue signaling purposes like they get a song yes they get a song. Yeah. <laughs> McDonald's yeah, get, get songs about you. 
it doesn't have a song and i'm not i'm not saying the mcdonald's worker needs a song but i don't think that the stuck up junkyard jockey needs a fucking song i'm right oh man you got me going i can't god that one always they're not going to sing songs about the sanitation workers either like (laughs) oh no hell no they don't there aren't songs about garbage men (laughs) i'm like wait a minute he's riding around on a big diesel truck you know it's a big truck the fumes in his face on the back of it yeah, he's hanging off of it. He's wearing gloves. He's wearing work boots and he's lifting big old heavy trash cans and stuff and dumping them in there. Like that's, that's definitely, you know, a macho working class job. Where's a song about the garbage man? All right. Right. He's touching refuse. See, so there's like a whole class thing. Like I'm too good to touch refuse. See, I'm a, I'm a noble construction worker. I don't touch trash. <laughs> I swing a, I swing a hammer. I don't lift trash cans over my head. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's totally a it's totally a, a weird internal classism thing, and this this sort of pervades American society. I know you worked sort of similar jobs. At what I was just talking about, I did. People really, and I'm I'm on the complaining train. People, if you work like a, a service job, and it's not just fast food anymore. If you're an Amazon worker, or you're it, 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 like a grocery store, or any sort of service job people do not treat you like a human being Mm -hmm. they treat you like a weird meat artificial intelligence that they can sort of abuse i've I've worked uh in retail during the 2009 era when things were really tight yeah no i I worked uh fast food and i worked at a, a farm one of these pharmacies i forget which one walgreens i think it was yeah it sucks it's not fun and everybody looks down at you. Yes, yes, and it, it's and such it, a weird, such a. Not, now I, <laughs> I wonder if we came up. Out. Right, right. I wonder how. I wonder if we wrote a country song. <laughs> if we can. <laughs> <laughs> we get Sven to write a country song about Walgreens workers. Yeah, my guess is my guess is Sven would rather jump off a bridge, but. Uh, yeah, there's there is something about the signaling and bloviation that is yes. just bound up in the conception of w- what working class is in America because it's not it's not necessarily even so much about hard work because you don't hear songs about landscapers and like I said being a commercial landscaper I found that to be more more difficult than being a timber cutter than being a logger I thought I thought for sure that's a much harder job because you don't get like that rest period where you're on, on the uh, loader where you're on the skitter where you get to sit on your ass for a minute. You're always doing something, but you're oh, not yeah, going to hear a song about being a, a fucking landscaper. It's, you know, you it's hear... about, it's about image. It's about like, well, I can romanticize this job where somebody is, is doing like this, this blue collar thing, you know, where they're, they're doing something cool, like swinging a chainsaw. That sounds cool, right? Or working a jackhammer, you know, like I'm running a jackhammer. But in terms of yeah, the word romanticizing is a great way to put it because I also, you don't, you know, we can bring this back to the healthcare workers and the social care workers, which again, are more than half of counties in the U S that's the most prominent job. It's not romanticized. No one attempts to romanticize that work. So there's not a song about it. Uh, Jason Aldean is not writing a song yeah, and about it's, the it's nurse. It's more like, the, is that work not more authentic? You, you're working that job because you really don't have a choice. 
a lot of people that are in, well, probably most of them, in fact, are not doing it because they want to do it. Doing They're doing it because they have to do it. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about classes of people who... In fact, if one wanted to, to really piss some people off, they could say that the popular conception of blue-collar actually represents a privileged class of people. Um, we don't want to do that. <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to expound on that a bit. <laughs> like you have lucked into a career where people respect what you do and they sing songs about you and uh, you're you're in a profession where people are proud to be in it. Whereas a lot of these other people they they are forced to just live hand to mouth working as cashiers or working at the Amazon warehouse. Oh no, that's absolutely true. At least as a construction worker. Um, even if there's not really songs about them, they, they're, it's sort of a class of people who, and I'm not trying to say that the, the state is, is currently constructed services, all their interests. However, they do get political attention mm-hmm. and cultural attention and factory workers who are constantly screwed. You know, I'm from Michigan. I'm not going to pretend factory workers aren't constantly screwed. However, there is sort of a cultural respect still that the whole rest of what would actually qualify as working class, that respect is not extended to them. And in fact, you know, if you are a retail worker and you complain about low wages in retail work, other working class people in America sort of conditioned by the GOP attack you. Right, right. Yeah. It's like, you're not swinging a hammer. Why should you get paid more money? You, you don't have the, the leather belt and you don't have the boots you're supposed to have. Or the blue jeans, so why should you get paid more? Right. You, you know? made my lunch. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's and 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 I blame I com- I blame the GOP entirely because the G- my entire life a huge GOP thing has been, you know, fifteen dollars for flipping burgers. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Get a real right. job. Like it's a weird con- conservative uh thing that they do. Yeah, well, and it's, it's also really funny, like, get a real job. Like, well, there's only so many of those slots available, and not all of us are privileged enough to have one of those slots. Well, so this is the other thing, is the, 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 American, the American state, and you and I have talked about this extensively before with the credentialism stuff we plan to do a whole show on eventually. The American state does virtually nothing to create work and to create suitable work and opportunities for its population. Mm-hmm. There is not a, there is not a comprehensive no, like, no, apprenticeship no. system in yeah. America. It's, it was like my experiences with an HVAC program where, uh, th- there was some sort of financial assistance to, to get trained HVAC because local manufacturing jobs moving overseas, but there was no way to on-ramp people from getting their universal card to then going out and working in the field. It was just like, okay, good luck now. Right. You got your education, and, you got your card, good luck. And you're and if you can't make it work, the first people to line up to lambast you are the G is the GOP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you get the boomer talking about, well, you know, I made it work because you know, I I my uncle Bob, he hired me to go do it. I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Well, your your <laughs> your uncle your uncle Bob had a fucking shop right across from three other guys who had shops that did the same thing. Yep. It was the 1950s jackass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's really wild. I had a, I had a coworker. Uh, he, he worked in, we, we were both medics, but he was, uh, 
he used to work in the furniture industry when there was a furniture industry. And he told me back in the day, you could literally just quit your job one day and start working at another furniture place across the street the next day. Like yeah. you, it was booming to the point where you had your pick of what you wanted to do. And you could just have my, a falling out with your boss and change jobs. Yeah, My boomer grandma had a story she loved to tell. She's passed now. God bless her soul. She had a story she loved to tell about how one day she got in a fight with a coworker. And this was in the small, t- small town in Michigan, got in a fight with her coworker quit the tool manufacturing shop she worked at walked mm-hmm. across the street literally she'd always pointed out when he passed the damn buildings literally crossed the street and got another job yep. both of the, both of those businesses are gone now of course but you know this is this is also a difficult part of the dynamic is that a lot of older people in the united states either refuse to or just sort of unable to acknowledge the fact that that the labor market has fundamentally changed. Yeah. The, the other thing is securing employment and a good job. If such a thing exists anymore, like a lot of this is contingent on you having a social network and social networks have been completely destroyed. Well, yeah, yeah. Either the, we did the whole thing. We hit, did the whole thing on roads and suburbs. Like there is no third place for you to go to make connections. Right. It's not like you've got like an uncle or a relative or a cousin or a guy who knows a guy that can get you the job right. you're looking for. Cause you don't have very many friends and you don't really have much interaction with other people. And as we were talking about the bars, like there's not third spaces, which not, not necessarily need to have a honky tonk dive to go to, to, to get a job working as a carpenter, but the you have lack to have of third, those spaces. Yeah. Having no third spaces in general certainly doesn't make it any easier because then you don't have anybody that you can connect with that can get you into those positions. Right. You you can't go to, I'm just going to keep with the dive bar scenario. You can't go to the dive bar, spend an evening having drinks with a guy, complain that you hate your job. And, and you know, there's no one yeah. to say, hey, I know a guy who knows a guy who uh, yeah, yeah, might or, have or, work. Hiring down at the plant. Yeah, exactly. The whole. The whole thing is gone, including the plant. <laughs> like right. The whole, <laughs> there's the no whole, bar. There's no plant. <laughs> yeah. The whole the whole thing has been gutted, and I don't think I don't think uh, a society, any society, can adjust to that. There's not a way to make up for that. Yeah. There's not. And this whole like sink or swim attitude in the United States is not helping. Oh, I know. Like, right. Just people fend for yourself. To try, to get good. Get that's good. What, that's I what I feel it. about like the United States. It's just like an, an endless like chorus of get good. Yes. Like, but this game yeah. sucks, man. It's broken. It needs updates. It needs to be patched. Fucking thing is broken as hell. Like, you can't yeah, get so good you, at this. You said on our text messages, and I wanted to make sure that we say this on the air. You said to me when we were talking about this that the get good crowd conceptualizes human rules as natural rules. Yeah, it's and like natural selection. It, yeah. When you suggest changing the rules, they become sort of apoplectic. Yeah. Yeah. They, they act like it's like, like it's not just world fallacy where, uh, you failing to make it is because like you, some sort of problem on your part, like this is what right. you deserve. And, then, and that there can, there can be no problem with the, the sort of the construct of the world as it is. Yeah. And it's like, but you guys made the rule system. You could change it at any time. If you don't like the right, way that's that, worked out, you change it. But then you have people like Oliver Anthony and Jason Eldine come along 
and write country music about how awful and unjust and you know uh, stupid the the world is and you know come to my part of the world where we're proud and if you fuck around you'll find out but there's no there's no implication or or call or motivation or desire to actually do anything mm-hmm. just complain yeah yeah complain about the fudge round eater but yeah so what i kind of want to get back to those it seems interesting that you've got entire classes of workers in the united states that don't have anybody advocating for them right. don't have anybody uh trying to appeal to their whatever level of group consciousness they have they're certainly not valorized by anybody and it's huge like swaths of american society are just going completely ignored and have no voice. No one is addressing their concerns. No one is trying to appeal to them. No one's telling them they have any kind of self-worth. That's interesting. There's like a lot of potential capital out there that is just not being put to good use. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember this was months ago. I was looking into the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, the percentage of able-bodied men in the workforce and it, it continues to go down and down. There are about 700,000 mm-hmm. uh, white men between the ages of 18 and 55 who just aren't doing anything. Aren't looking for work, aren't in training. They're just, they're just not doing anything And mo in the, it skews extremely young. And, you know, I, I always remember the example you give that there's <laughs> there soon. They're not going to know how the, the water infrastructure of New York city works because all those boomers will be retired or whatever. And there's 700,000 young men to train, mm-hmm. but there's no mechanism to handle that. And if you suggest creating a mechanism to handle that, suddenly you become the problem. Yeah. Well, is it this, this seems like an international trend though, because I know it's, it's not just the United States that has like this surplus of essentially like young, able-bodied males that are not being put to use because right. uh, a lot of times like mechanization or, or in some cases, honestly, it can be older generations that are refusing to retire and pass on their knowledge. They're just continuing to work away in their well, jobs. It's the way society is. I just sort of i use a broad brush with this and i just say it is the way that the state and the the modern social order are constructed young men in particular are told that they have no sort of inherent value or use and are just kind of chucked on the refuse pile mm-hmm. at least young women now i'm not saying that young white women have it easy i'm not going to pretend that their lives are 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 keen and peachy but there is still a network of institutions and people who care very deeply about them and are invested in their success in a way that the modern state just doesn't care about younger men don't they constantly talk about getting more women into x right in in fact just now whenever i was like doing a little googling looking at labor statistics one of the things that came up is like the the lack of female welders like this is some sort of really important thing. We don't have enough women welders. <laughs> women don't want to weld. I don't blame them. 
Right. It's like, well, I don't want to get cancer from inhaling various welding fumes. <laughs> yeah, I remember I years I ago. Fucking weird exotic cancer that kills me like it did my neighbor. I don't I don't want that. Years ago I read an article about how we needed more women bricklayers because women are so creative and artsy that women bricklayers would bring a, a level of uh a level of interest to modern uh construction or something it was something like that but i also at the same time i knew a guy was working with a guy who had some kind of like skin poisoning or condition mm-hmm. from from years as a brickware layer and mortarer like i could <laughs> i could, i wouldn't want to do that fucking job well, yeah a lot of those jobs are backbreaking and they actually don't pay enough because it's like bricklaying and then a lot of the construction work and I know that there's been talk of like there's not enough of these construction contractors because the job just beats you up. A lot of these, a lot of these physical jobs, like actual hard labor jobs, they beat you up physically, and you're going to have problems as you get older. It's just going to happen to you. It's like well, construction is one of those industries that because because they have mechanisms to keep labor so cheap, they won't modern, they won't mechanize and modernize. Mm-hmm. So instead of a construction crew of 15 really well-paid white guys using modern equipment you have a construction crew of like 50 really poorly paid mexicans yeah it's the same thing it's the same thing with a lot of uh with a lot of landscaping a lot of these industry far agriculture is a huge one a lot of these industries get labor for so cheap that to mecha- the the capital cost of mechanizing just they just don't do it yeah i mean that's it's, it's uh, my my dad had to have a hip replacement on one side and it was, it was because of having an injury and working in the logging industry where you tend to you know, what you usually do is when you're carrying your saw in the woods is you throw it over one shoulder and then you're walking on a side hill it's like all right that's going to that's going to tweak Ooh. something sooner or later yeah the human like, body the human body is a bit, a bit fragile. Yeah, yeah. Just over time, you're going to end up. Uh, I think my brother and my dad both have spines that are laterally curved to one side from doing that for so long. It's just going to have those those effects on you. Yeah. That's that's why I got out of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can't it was like I am a lazy man, and I want to find something that is less difficult. So stupidly, I went to commercial landscaping and then eventually I found audio production, which did have some hard work involved, but a lot of it was window time. And a lot of it was uh, sitting on my ass while bands play music. And that was probably my favorite job. It was a fantastic job. And now, you, and now you're a podcaster. Yeah. Uh, like, you get to sit on my ass again. It's wonderful. God, it's amazing how life changes. Well, Alex, we're, uh, I am back. And because I'm back, we're keeping hard to the one hour time limit. Well, that's good because we're running out of steam there at the very end. So it's perfect. Perfect. One hour. Absolutely. Everyone stop listening to stupid country music um, and, and be sympathetic to the poor, poor men in your life who can't get a job. And yeah. remember, the working class is a lot bigger than uh, sort of weird American liberalism would have you believe.